The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, February 7th, 2022. The woman in your life will do what she must do to comfort you and calm you down and let you rest now. The woman in your life, she can rest so easily. She knows everything you do because the woman in your life is you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holt, and I'm your host. And with me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. Oh, my God, what a morning this has been. Well, February is Black History Month, and next week is va- next week is going to be Valentine's Day. Well, to celebrate Black History Month during uh, the Our History is Our Strength segment, I will be honoring two African-American women for... For the Valentine's show, Ken and I will be reading the poem I wrote, Friends and Lovers, plus a few surprises. The first line of the poem is, I don't remember missing you until I started kissing you. How amazing. And a special happy Chinese New Year 2022 is the year of the tiger, a year of great purpose and strength. Well, I have a special guest with me this morning. Joining me in the studio is Tina Rogers, who is an educator, performer, and researcher. We will be talking about Black History Month, its history, and its goals. Tina was also very instrumental in the, uh, she was on the committee for the Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration on Zoom this year. The main speaker was Donzele Rice. Donzele Abernathy, and sorry about that, daughter of civil rights leader Ralph Abernathy, whose family was close to Dr. King, and will be listening to a part of that speech and discussing some of the things that she said. A brief history about Black History Month. Well, February is Black History Month, or National African American History Month. It is an annual celebration of achievements by black Americans and a time for recognizing the vital roles of African Americans in the United States of America. The event grew out of Negro History Week, once the brainchild of noted historian Carter G. Woodson and other prominent African Americans. Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. Other countries around the world, including Canada and the United Kingdom, also devoted a month to celebrating black history. In honor of this month and to honor the accomplishments of African-American women, each Monday I will be highlighting two African-American women. For this show, I've invited uh, Tina to join me in talking about Congresswoman Shirley Chisholm. Well, I just have a little comment here about the uh, Whoopi Goldberg uh, situation that happened. I'm sure everybody knows about it by now, and that was that Whoopi made a statement. There was, I guess, it was Holocaust uh, Celebration Day, and she had a guest on the on the air, and they were discussing the Holocaust. And what Whoopi said was that she felt that the the Holocaust was not about race; it was about man's humanity to man. And I kind of agree with that. Of course, there was a big uproar because in Nazi Germany, Adolf Hitler 
decided to classify the Jewish people as a race. Prior to that, the Jewish people had been known either as a tribe or they would be known as, a, you know, a, you know, a religion. But Hitler turned it around. He made it a race, and thus, when it, it, what happened was, is something like six million Jews were killed. Well, there were also five additional million people that were killed, and that included uh, political prisoners, that included uh, gypsies, that included mentally challenged, that included black people also. And a lot of Russian soldiers, oh my goodness, I think Russia lost millions of people during that war. So there were many, many other people that really suffered, other human beings that really suffered because of that, uh, because of Adolf Hitler. And of course, the Jews were, I mean, there's no doubt, there's, there's no question that they were not persecuted in a way that was just horrific. But the most important thing I think about what she said was, is that she opened the door to a discussion that we need to understand the Holocaust. We need to understand what it is in human beings that could, they could do something as horrific as what happened in those concentration camps. And also, at the same time that Whoopi made this statement, there is a book called Mouse that uh, was written by, I believe, is Michael Spiegelberg. Arch. Uh, Arch Spiegelberger, excuse me. And Spiegelman. Spiegelman. Oh, boy, we're really off today. Can't hardly Art Spiegelman, he wrote this book, Mouse. I actually found it in Germany. And it's a kind of a illustration, a cartoon illustration of, of what happened to his parents in the concentration camp. And right now in Tennessee, they are, Tennessee here in the United States, they are going to be banning that book. And for me, I think it's very important not only to study the Holocaust, but to study Art's book. I mean, it's amazing the, the description and what he, what he has to say. And I think it's a very, very important. Uh, learning tool. You know, so much is going on today in today's world. And, you know, we all have to realize that we're just members of the human race and we have to treat each other with love and respect. And what's so important about the past is you have to look at your mistakes and you have to move forward. And that's, I think, was the point that Whoopi was trying to make. And she was trying to make the point that it was, without any doubt in my mind, a definite crime against humanity, a violation of all our human rights and all our dignity. So there's lots to, you know, there's lots to think about. And I've been thinking about this, you know, for days now. And unfortunately, uh, Whoopi Goldberg got suspended for two weeks, and I don't understand why she was suspended. But, you know, the powers that be, they do what they're going to be. Well, that's a lot to think about, but that's what Women's Spaces is all about. And we're going to take a musical break, and I'm really excited about this song. Not that I like what it has to say, but I think it, it really gives a, a real strong, a strong message. And there's, there's quite a history behind it. Uh, the song is Black Lives Matter, and it is sung by, I love this name, Lovely Hoffman. And, and the song was written in the wake of the death of Michael Brown and Eric Gardner in 2014. Lovely felt compelled to write this song and direct a music video entitled Black Lives Matter. And you can see it on YouTube. So let's go ahead, Ken. Let's go ahead and play the song uh, Black Lives Matter by Lovely Hoffman. And when we return, we will be talking with uh, Tina Rogers and we will be discussing and listening to a speech by Donzalea Abernathy, daughter of civil rights leader Ralph Athene. Ap 
Abernathy, whose family was close to Dr. King. In fact, she called Dr. King Uncle Martin. Uh, Abernathy gives us a historical perspective of the early struggles during the civil rights movement. But let's go ahead, Ken, and let's listen to Black Lives Matter by Lovely Hoffman. Wish it all would go away Because it's crippling my faith We've been let down again But we're hopeful and justice will end Black lives matter I sing, I sing it loud through the tears Shattered, we matter. Black lives matter. We sing, we sing it loud through the tears in hearts that shattered. We matter. We matter, matter, matter. We matter, matter. We will stand for what is righteous And with truth on our side We must lift our voice and say Black lives matter We sing, we sing in love Standing proud, our standing power We matter Now we need equality. Now we need love right now. We need peace right now. We need truth right now. We need sovereignty now. We need justice now. We need equality now. Love right now. We need peace right now. We need truth right now. We need sovereignty now. We 
need justice now. We need equality now. We need love right now. Love right now. We need peace right now. We need truth right now. We need sovereignty now. I wish it all would fade away. Wow, what a song. I mean, it is a real, really positive statement about what she's talking about. And I want to give a little history uh, to my listeners. In the wake of the death of Michael Brown and Eric Gardner in 2014, Lovely felt compelled to write a song and direct a music video entitled Black Lives Matter to stand in solidarity with families who were victims of injustice. In May of 2015, this is really great, Black Lives Matter music video won first place at the San Francisco Black Film Festival. This video was also an opening night film at the Chicago International Social Change Film Festival and was an official selection of the Roxbury International Film Festival and the real sisters of the African-American Disbari Film Festival in Harlem, New York. Congratulations, lovely. For you just joining in, I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, the board of directors, its members, and Women's Spaces. Well, welcome back, and you are listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. With me in the studio, it's so exciting to have someone in the studio to be able to look across and see another human being, is Tina Rogers, educator, performer, and researcher. Tina was also one of the organizers for the recent Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. birthday celebration held in January. Well, welcome, Tina. Like I said, I'm really glad to have you in the studio with me. I mean, this pandemic, it's been a real lonely road here. Every Monday we come, it's Ken and I, and we're just here by ourselves. So it's wonderful to see another human being. You know, before we begin the speech, um, I'd like to ask you one question. There was a suggestion not to celebrate the uh, the birthday of Martin Luther King Jr. this year. And the reason was is because they wanted to bring awareness uh, to the importance and the possible passage of the John Lewis Voting Rights Bill, which unfortunately has not passed. What was important about not what what was important about having it this year? I mean, what made you what made the folks here in Sonoma County decide that they were going to have the event? But then you have another family member that is also saying, hey, we're not, you know, we're not talking about not celebrating, we're talking about being like logistic. You know, spiritually, you know, for humanity. So coming out and, and also reminding people of the importance of what happened. Mm-hmm. So yes. continue the importance of, of the importance of what happened at that particular time and why we're celebrating. Yes. Um, 
hold on a minute. We're having we're having some we're having some technical difficulties. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, good. So, you know, it was just the idea of making sure that people are reminded as to what happened and and what happened during that time and also to celebrate his life to remind people what his mission was and what his journey was. And and not only that, not just a reminder reminder of what happened 50 years ago is like how is it happening now? Right. And so, yeah, so people that were there and born during that time and witnessed all of that kind of stuff were 50 years later. So then people have to ask themselves, what did they do wrong? You know, what 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 were they going? What was their life in the last 50 years? And now here we are with people that all these great grandchildren of all the people that were in the civil, civil rights movement you know, wasn't there for that extremity, but you have to understand why everyone acts out. Right, and you have to know exactly what your history is. So let's let's take, we're going to listen, We I'm really, I'm really excited, I'm really excited about this, because we're going to be listening to a speech by Dondelay's uh, Dondelay uh, Abernathy, the daughter. Dondelay Abernathy, the daughter of Ralph Abernathy, who was they were very close to Dot and Martin Luther King. In fact, you'll you'll hear in the speech she calls him Uncle Martin, which I I find really 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 touching. And so what we're going to do is we're going to listen. I want our audience to know that this is an 18 minute and 33 second uh, speech that we're going to just play all the way through, and then we're going to come back and have a discussion about it. The whole speech we are going to to post the link on www.womenspaces.com. The whole speech is 33, uh, 33 and some odd minutes. So right now we're going to go ahead. Let's let's queue up, Ken. We're going to listen to the uh, to the speech, and then when we come back, we'll be continuing our conversation with with Tina Rogers. Are we ready? Can we get the speech on? Let's try. Hello, everyone, and um, welcome. It is indeed a great honor to be here today to speak to you all about my Uncle Martin, my dad, the civil rights movement, and the holiday that we will celebrate officially tomorrow across America. And actually, his birthday was um, yesterday. And as I was preparing today, I saw... This proclamation, which is the um, original draft of the proclamation for the holiday to become a legal holiday that my father drafted. Um, It was uh, signed in 1970. And uh, let me just see right there. You can see what he did was he, um, after Uncle Martin died, and I'll tell you really briefly about that, but um, after Uncle Martin died, my dad wanted to find a way to honor him, and the way that he thought it was best to honor him would be to have a day of commemoration, which would be his birthday, which would ultimately become a holiday, uh, a federal holiday, and then a national holiday. And my father never lived long enough to see it actually become a national holiday. Uh, but what he did was he took his idea to Congressman John Conyers of Michigan, and he took it to Senator Ed Brooke of Massachusetts, two black representatives, because we didn't have very many at that point, and asked them to lobby for the creation of this holiday. 
And uh, yesterday on Facebook, um, a man named David Marks told me he took around petitions because what Daddy did was he asked people to fill out the petitions and letters and write. And so he collected hundreds of thousands of letters and he filled the hallways of the Cannon Building and the Russell Building, which are the uh, legislative uh, uh, offices of uh, the members of Congress and the Senate. And uh, he filled the hallways with all of these um, uh, postage bags of letters calling for the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. And that's how it actually came to be. It took several years before it actually happened. And when it did happen, um, Congress paused to say thank you to my dad for the holiday that we commemorate today. So um, Uncle Martin, as I knew him, was the epitome of love and joy. Uh, yesterday I saw that Bernice had posted a, a photograph of Uncle Martin and Uncle Retta smiling, but he was laughing in the photograph, and that's the way I knew him. He was the epitome of love and joy. And when an assassin's bullet rang out on April 4th, 1968, the silence came and it was deafening and the joy was gone. The laughter was gone and we were faced with a nation in crises, sort of like what we are today as a nation. Um, all I can keep hearing in my mind is my mother quoting this song, this uh piece of a poem that Uncle Maden used to use when he spoke, which was truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet that scaffold sways the future. Behind standeth God, keeping watch over his own. So the message is not to be dismayed because we don't are going to, or we are losing rights to vote, or they're making it difficult with voter suppression across America. We still have to have a dream. We still have to see a future, a path. We still have to march. We still have to stand up for truth, justice, and equality. It is our right as American citizens that's what I learned growing up with Daddy and Uncle Martin. And what you saw earlier in the video, you saw a little girl marching. And I was that little girl that was marching for the Selma to Montgomery March. I marched with my sister and my brother on the front lines. Our parents wanted us to understand what we were doing and why we were doing it. And it was for our right to vote. Previously, as we stood up for our right to vote, I'll, I'll just tell you the, the history. I'll never forget it was a Sunday morning. And on this particular Sunday morning, um, Daddy was in his pulpit and Uncle Martin was in his pulpit. They had previously been in Selma, but um, they were going to have a Selma march. And my dad said, Martin, I can't be there on Sunday. You have to do this alone. And Uncle Martin said, well, I'm not going to do it, Ralph, if you're not going to be there. I will not do it. So let's call off the march. So they told their staff to call off the march. However, somehow the word did not get out. And on that Sunday morning, people arrived at Brown Chapel. This is 1965. And so 
my dad got a phone call and someone, one of the deacons came up to him on the poop and they said, Reverend, you have a phone call. Could you please go take your call? And it was an emergency. So my dad left his office. We used to sit on the side of the church. And so when daddy left, we decided we were going to run out too. That gave us an opportunity to run upstairs in his office, get candy and drink some ginger ale. So my brother and I were sitting upstairs in the office with my dad. When he took the call from Jose Williams, who was calling, he said, listen, Reverend, um, all of these people have shown up at Brown Chapel and uh, they want to march. And um, what are we supposed to do? And my dad said, well, I don't know. Let me talk to Martin. I'll call you back. And so daddy hung up the phone and then he called Uncle Madden over at Ebenezer, who had walked out of his church because he was the co-pastor at Ebenezer. Granddaddy King was the main pastor. And uh, daddy said to Uncle Martin, he said, well, they want to march. Jose wants to leave this march. And Uncle Martin was, I, uh, he was hesitant. He was like, I, I don't know that we should let Jose leave this march. And, and daddy said, if we don't let him march, if we don't let him leave this march, he'll be angry with us for the rest of our lives. We've got to let Jose do this. And so Uncle Martin reluctantly, reluctantly, acquiesced and gave in to my father. My dad called Jose back and he said, okay, you will have the rights to march. And simultaneously, this young man named John Lewis, who at that point was the uh, president of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, we called it SNCC. And he wanted to work with everybody else. He wanted to get along with Martin Luther King and with my dad and the civil rights movement because his ultimate goal was for us to have the right to vote. And the young students from SNCC were angry. They were saying, we've been here in Selma before Martin Luther King arrived. And no, 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 no. We're not going to work with him. And uh, John Lewis said, well, I am. And they said, well, you're fired. So that's what they did that morning. They fired John Lewis. He put on his raincoat and his backpack. He had his toothbrush. He got ready to go to jail. And he walked with Jose Williams across that Edmund Pettus Bridge and walked on into history. And once they got on the other side of that bridge, they were met by um, Sheriff Jim Clark, who was an absolutely horrible racist. He had shoved women and men trying to stop them from registering to vote. And then they were met by Jim Clark's men on horseback with tear gas and masks, and they trampled them and they beat them. And what became known to us as Bloody Sunday, that Sunday afternoon, we sat at Pascal's having dinner, and the staff came in to tell Daddy and Uncle Mon to explain to them exactly what they had heard had happened. Then Daddy decided he was going to send two men down to Selma to see And once they went down, then they knew what they were dealing with, and they knew that this was violent and that we had to continue to fight. So immediately, Danny Nakamad went back to Selma. They had several marches along the way, and when they would have a march, what they would do is take a knee, and then my dad would pray. But they took a a knee in the face of racial oppression so that people will understand our humility. We're nonviolent. We're not trying to fight back against you. So Colin Kaepernick did not invent that or come up with the idea. He was mirroring the exact same thing that we had done during the days of the civil rights movement. So they decided to have a second attempt to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge. And they put out the word to all of the clergymen and a a rabbi that died very recently this past week, Rabbi Israel Dresner, 
They sent the word to him to bring down all of these rabbis. And they immediately flocked to the south to try and cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge a second time. And they had come by the thousands. And once they walked across the bridge, of course, they were met with the police this time. And then uh, more than Jim Clark, there was Al Lingo, who was the police. Uh, he was the supervisor of the uh, uh, highway patrolmen and all of the law enforcement in Alabama. So there were more than 500 law enforcement officers there to meet them. At that point, they knew they couldn't continue to keep marching because the people would be trampled to death. And it was too much of a risk to take. And so Uncle Mod said, Ralph, why don't you pray? And he said, Rabbi Dresner, why don't you pray? And so everybody got down on their knees the more than 500 to 1,000 people, clergymen of all different races and religions, got down on their knees in the face of these police officers. My dad prayed. Rabbi Dresner prayed. prayed, And then they turned around and went back across that bridge. A lot of people were disappointed, and it became known as Turnaround Tuesday. But we had to turn around because it was the right thing to do. So that evening, three white men, um, Reverend James Reeb and two other white ministers, decided to have dinner in a soul food restaurant. Well, those were the days of segregation. And under those days of segregation, they didn't want white people to associate with black people. They didn't want white people to think that black lives matter or that white men would participate in a rally like these young people had done in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And so the Ku Klux Klan decided when these they saw these three white men coming out of this black soul food restaurant, they would beat them to death. And a day later, Reverend James Reeb died in a hospital. Oh so that only put fuel to Daddy and Uncle Martin's fire. And then from there, they went to Washington, D.C. and met with our president. And at that point, we needed help. And the only way to take care of a good old boy like George Crowley Wallace and all of those staunch segregationists and people that were so full of hate in the South, they decided that President Johnson, who was from Texas, could handle them. And he assured them that he could and that he would. And so what President Johnson did was he said, listen, I need you all to have as much protest as you possibly can to bring national attention to this. As he met with my dad, Uncle Martin, and Congressman Walter Frontroy in the Oval Office, he said, and then let me know and I'll do my part. My friend Lucy Baines Johnson, whose father is President Johnson, told me how her father grabbed Senator Dirksen by the collar of his suit jacket and lifted him up off the ground and he said to him, you will vote for this Voting Rights Act. Well, anyway, we went back. And when we went back at that time, my parents decided it was time for us as children to go. And uh, President Johnson sent in the National Guard and the judges gave us um, an, a, a, a petition which allowed us to March, and they started that day from Selma to Montgomery, 
It's five, um, 50 miles from Selma to Montgomery. It takes five days. I know Selma because in Selma, that's where my mother and my father met and fell in love. Selma's the biggest little town where my parents grew up. My mother's from Uniontown, Alabama, which is about 20 miles down the road. And my dad is from Linden, which is 35 miles down the road. And if you wanted to go buy something nice, you had to go into Selma because it was the big town. Wow, what a powerful speech that was. What a powerful piece of history. Like I said, the, the speech itself is 33 minutes long. And you can watch, you can listen to the whole thing on www.womenspaces.com. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and in the studio with me is Tina Rogers, who is a one of the coordinators of the Martin Luther King birthday celebration, which happened in January, and was actually responsible for bringing this wonderful woman into Sonoma County to make that, that great speech. Well, Tina, let's go over this a little bit. What, what did you learn from her speech? And, and give us a little background. How did you, you know, you gave her a phone call, and how, what, how did it happen that you were able to get her to come and do this for, for a Dr. King's birthday. You know, uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Birthday Celebration Committee of Sonoma County consists of not only myself, but other members of the committee. So uh, Mrs. Donzelay Abernathy has already attended um, and presented uh, in recent years. So one thing that she does do is she does try to get around around the country and internationally as possible to you know spread the word and and her personal story. And so her personal story matters and to me that that hits you know home to not only the philosophies of Dr. King but you know something that really happened. You know, know it wasn't I, it wasn't made up. I could just imagine, you know, when when I was listening to the story of how John Lewis that they weren't going to do the march, and then they, the group decided to do the march, and then this horrific thing happened. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, I'm still in shock that we're even struggling with uh, voting rights today. So, what what did you learn from this speech? I mean, what did you glean from this particular event? That from from Donsley, Donsley, you know. She she leads, you know, all of all of her oratorical stuff with personal experience. And so for me, that's something that I grew up. I'm a child, you know, that came in right after all the civil rights movement. I was born from that struggle. So I'm part of, you know, the the hip hop community, the hip hop culture of these, you know, last like 50 years that, you know, this is like what's in our blood. So when I hear that that personal story of who not only her father, who her uncle and godfather is and their experiences, that's something that we should be telling. And it's the same story that has to be cried out five over five decades later. It should not be forgotten. You know, there's a thing like another. There's an old saying: "Never again." In order for it to happen, never again, you have to find out where you've come from, what you got, how you got there. I mean, if someone didn't say, "Oh yeah, here you can just vote." I mean, we had you had black people had the right to vote. What the right, the Voting Act right was to make sure that they didn't have to go through all this garbage when they went to the polls, like these different tests and 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 poll taxes and all the things that happened, you know. And this that was the that was the point of the Civil Rights Act to make sure that people could go to the polls and could vote. And now now they're trying to now they're trying to take it away again. So, so for me, the Voting Rights Acts and all that kind of stuff is based on. Not people having the right to do these things. It was to prevent 
other people from, from playing games, manipulating, being nasty, doing all that kind of stuff. So, you know, wording in the English language is very, very, very difficult. We got to be careful of how, how that was. Hey, what, these people are pleading nonviolently, resistantly. Hey, can we have this? Hey, can we have that? Hey, you know, the natural right that everybody else has. So how do you stop the meanness? How, how was it 50 years later that we're even talking about it? Because for me, all of my life, I've been, you know, hey, that was a long time ago. You just made a great point. Why are we still talking about it? It's because people, it just, I, it, there's, I feel there's something in the DNA of the human species that has to be corrected, to be honest with you. Well, another thing what is important, what, what kind of impact do you think that speech had? on? I know for me, when I saw her and I listened to it and I've heard her before and it was almost like the first time. It was like, to me, I never heard her before. It's like I heard this story for the first time and I felt my eyes well up and all of a sudden the memories of the dogs and all the horrors that went on at that time. I mean, it was it was really amazing. So what what do you think the impact of, of her speech might have been? Well, well, let's use you as an example. So the emotion, this was a time that you were alive, that you witnessed it, you heard it, you were probably late raising young children at the time or during your life, wherever your life was at the time, you experienced and heard all of that. And maybe you couldn't feel like, oh, your voice couldn't matter. You know, so every time that she gives a message, it's not the person. She's given a message, and that message is awakening all the spirits and the souls that it can. So that's why it's emotional, and that's why it's important, and that's why it meant so much to you and other people that were, you know, were able to listen to that. And so that's what that's what we're doing, you know, on um, the Martin Luther King Birthday um, Celebration Committee in, in Sonoma County, you know, because it, it it doesn't take just our county; it also takes other counties around the whole entire United States. Donsley was born in Atlanta. You know, they walk that. She She's telling you stories. This is not anything that she gets paid for. Her job, she's an actress. You know, if you Google her, you'll find out, you know, hey, she's been in film. She's been in countless television shows. She's a writer, a speaker. She has a personal history. This is something that actually matters. You know, so acting and maybe some type of speech engagements may, you know, help her take care of her family. But what happened, those are her actual memories. Well, I, you know, and I want to I want to respond to something you said about me at the time that I was and I was I was raising a child. I had just my daughter was you know was born in 1964, so you know all that was going on. But for me, for me, the biggest thing that happened was when I turned on the television one day and I saw hoses and dogs. When I saw that, I said to myself, you know, I'm a first, genera- uh, first generation American on my mother's side, on my father's side. My father was born in Poland and I'm a second generation. I'm actually the first kind of the teenagers of immigrants, you know, was kind of assimilating. So I come from a family that thought, oh, America was, you know, we kissed the ground when we came here. And then here I am watching television and i and and not only that not only that even even later on when little ruby went with the, that one lone girl one lone little girl you know reminds me in schindler's list they had this one little girl that had this little red jacket on you know and they followed her around and that's how i felt with little ruby you know that she here she was in that little coat with those little braids you know being uh, surrounded by all these guards 
And what were they doing trying to integrate so she could get an education? You know, and, and we did have, we already had it in place that, that there was the school's word to be, uh, it was Brown, what was it, Brown versus, uh, I can't remember the other name. Wow. But if that, that we were able in people of color to integrate so they could get a better education. It was so they could have some equality. So it, that's what brought up for me. So you asked me the question. So exactly what you just said. So what you have is there are a lot of people that are immigrants to this land and through colonization feel that whatever their lives, however that matters, will make sure that other people cannot get an education. Other people cannot prosper, you know, with business or, or just get along minding their business. And so that is this, that is the situation. And that is not 200 years ago because America is very, very young. It's today. It's happening today. Why? Well, that's a good question. And I say never ask why because why is the endless, endless. You have to say what is going on here. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, Marvin Gray wrote a great song, What's Going On? And I'll tell you something. It's just as timely today as it was then. You know, and, and I will ask why. And, and the why is, like, for instance, like uh, we're going to discuss Dr. Francis Cress Wilson, psychiatrist. Um, so there are answers to why, and that, and she's also someone that is definitely worthy of having um, this discussion during Women's History okay. Month in March. Let's let's stop it right there because the clock is ticking, Tina. So right now, right now, what we're going to do is we're going to play a little portion of Ella's song because we couldn't play it before, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about two african-american women that really made an impact so i'm really excited about that so let's go ahead and play that kid we'll believe in freedom cannot rest Mm, we who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes we who believe in Shine on. 
most powerful songs. That's Ella's song. You know, if you want to be inspired or you're going on a march or something, you just go ahead and play that song. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And joining me in the studio today is Tina Rogers, an educator, performer, and researcher. And I consider her being kind of like a co-host today. And we're going to talk about our time. The clock is running out. We were going to talk about two women. But right now, we're just going to focus on Shirley Chisholm. And then uh, uh, Tina will make an announcement on how we're going to handle the uh, education about the other woman. So, Tina, let's start. Let's talk about Shirley Chisholm. You know, who was she and what is she known for? And, of course, what is it like for you doing the research on her? What comes up for you when you read about this fantastic woman? Well, you know, Shirley Chisholm, she was always like a figure in our household. You know, growing up here in in Sonoma County, and having, you know, access to a lot of information, books, and having the freedom to do all that kind of stuff, it really worked out um, where well, I already knew about her because she, you know, she ran for president in, in 1972. And I was a child, and, and everybody kind of knew that at, at that time. So for me, it was like a big deal. And she was this woman that was from the East Coast, and my family, my mother was from the East Coast as well. And so she was in New York, and she was a, a school teacher at the time. And her family, her mother and father, uh, were immigrants from Barbados and Guyana. And they came here, and education was, like, their biggest thing. So for that, you know, she was able to understand the importance and have the opportunity. So what really, really, you know, was, like, you know, big for her, you know, in 1968, she was, like, the first black woman, you know, to you know, to be elected to the United States Congress, you know, and she represented the New York City's uh, 12th Congress district. But the funny part about it is, like, her study in sociology and a minor in Spanish in college, you know, enabled her definitely not not only being from the islands, but, you know, having that formal Spanish education, she was able to talk to people in her within her district. So she was able to speak to everyone that spoke Spanish, whether they're from Cuba, Puerto Rico, or, you know, just other, you know, Latin American areas. So that, like, helped her out a lot. And and not only that, you know, her father at the time, he definitely was, you know, understood being from the islands who Marcus Garvey was. And Marcus Garvey, yeah, Marcus Garvey is... um, you know, somebody that was a super important. So, like, politics and her family, you know, worked out, you know, so, 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 so much for her. Um, and the, the the biggest thing that I've I realized about her is that she was a woman that realized, hey, being a woman, regardless of your color or, or non-color or background, that was the biggest, the biggest thing, you know, when it came to dealing with men as your, you know, co-workers and your colleagues. And so she was one of those people that, you know, always, like, had the back the backbone to speak up and to speak out and to say how it was. And I think that's something that's very important for everybody to, like, understand who this woman is. Yeah, she was also, she was also, not only was she very outspoken, but she was also very much a part of the uh, women's movement. And the disappointment, you know, is really interesting. I was, I I just, I loved Shirley Chisholm. I mean, people should really go into her and read about, read about her history and how she evolved to the place that she evolved. But I was watching a movie, it was called, uh, uh, 
it was about uh, it was about uh, Phyllis Chatley when they were trying to stop the ERA, and and also at that particular time, um, uh, the woman who started the uh, women's magazine was very much very much Gloria Simon was very much into abortion and and all those other different things, and Shirley Chisholm had actually created had accomplished by getting quite a few delegates that she was kind of holding to trying to make kind of trying to get people to move more towards more equality for african-american people and what what ended up happening is it was very interesting she felt like she was betrayed by the women's movement because what happened is they they took the delegates away they they gave the delegates to one of the contenders who was supposed to speak out for women who did not so it, it she had a very very interesting history and that's uh, that respect. But one thing, that, the reason I bring that up, what was so amazing about Shirley Chisholm, that at that particular time she felt like quitting, and yet she still had the courage. She says, no, I've I got to go on. This is just reality in life, and I've got to go and move forward. So she was a pretty powerful woman. What, what was one of the main things, what was the kind of the, the kernel of surprise for you that you found out about her? You know, the the surprising thing is is after her death, when there's a state park in her name in Brooklyn, when people can go fish for herring um, at, at at the pond that they took that was like a garbage dump at one point, and then now it's a a, a beautiful place where people can walk and jog and nature. So. All of our lives really do matter, even though each and every one of us are going to have obstacles. You know, for Shirley Chisholm, when she first got into the House of Representatives, you know, no one would sit next to her at the same table. You know, she was, you know, bullied. Um, she was looked down upon, you know, for not only being a woman, but of course, of being, you know, of her own, you know, uh, skin hue. And, and not only that, not only from just men from different uh backgrounds but also you know black men you know because they felt that you know it shouldn't be a, a woman speaking and talking about all these issues it should be her so i'm happy that she she did what she did and that's what we all have to do while we live she died in 19 uh excuse me in 2020 uh 2005 at the year of 80 january 1st that was her new year's day she passed away that day so what we all do in our life, it does matter, regardless of the obstacles, because that's what being a human is. We are going to have obstacles. And our job is to, like, make it easier on all of us and our future generations. But we're talking about a woman who had the gall, regardless of her background, regardless of who shunned her. Or maybe some other women didn't think, you know, she should be the one. Maybe some other men didn't think she should be the one. But she spoke out. She spoke out for uh, school lunch um, for the children. She spoke out, you know, they, they put her, uh, she was an agricultural committee. She wasn't, you know, ready for, for that. She wanted to do things that, you know, affected more of her constituents. So, you know, the thing about Shirley Chisholm and other women, especially during that time, this was after the civil rights movement. This is when after, you know, she was up against Nixon. Nixon was talking bad about her. You know, she was going against his things. You know, it was the same year. She was around when Dr. King got killed. She was around when Robert Kennedy got killed. It, she, they were there. They was that was a real fight. And here we are, all decades later, and now we have new generations, and we're all just learning the information. And you're still fighting. Yes, and we know we are all still fighting. 
And women's spaces is fighting because we're sharing a story of people and making awareness that each and every one of the listeners that you have, they can all do something. Well, you know, talking about talking about Shirley Chisholm and some of her struggles, uh, there was an interview that they, that she did, and they asked her, "What is hard? Which is harder, to be a woman or to be a black woman?" And she said, "To be absolutely to be a woman, and trying to get and and re- not only are African Americans on the chopping board with the voting rights, but look at what's happening to women with uh, the right to choose over their own bodies. You know, and these are struggles that people got got beaten for that." went to jail for that had to go on hunger strike for and then all of a sudden just because some guy or some person thinks that this should be changed or this isn't right all of a sudden the struggle becomes meaningless but we have to recognize it's not meaningless and we just have to keep on moving well we're just about we're just about coming to the end of our segment and we were going to talk about uh uh psychiatrist francis crest whistling but it will just just she she was someone we're going to talk about during next month i'm going to have tina back on and we're going to talk on women's history month because this woman really had impact i think she was the first one of the first black women to actually come out and say about uh white supremacist which was very very important i mean she really studied the psychology of it and all that well we've come to the end of our segment tina is there any websites or any last words you'd like to say and i really appreciate your passion and the information that you've given us and for being here in the studio with me and enjoying this wonderful the first show of the month the first show of the month to celebrate black history month so any last words and any website or people how people can get a hold of you i know you do a lot of spoken word and a lot of different things. How can they get a hold of you? I I want to say thank you very much for having me for Women's Spaces. My name is Tina Rogers, and I can be found at funkystylestreetdance at gmail.com. That's the best way to reach me um, for speaking engagements and other things. And, you know, and I want to say I look forward to next month for Women's History Month. I definitely look forward to speaking about Dr. Frances Welsing. She is like the the person that can speak on the um, psychiatry of racism well tina rogers i want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on women's basis now look forward to next month i mean i've had you know this is we've had a long break here tina decided for a while she just wanted wasn't didn't want to be involved i had her on for almost six months we were on six shows and we're going to hopefully we're going to start that up again because you bring a wealth of information and a wealth of of not only information but feelings about what is going on and how you are yourself are coping with it so thank you so much and i want to wish you much much success in all you do well folks that's it for our show and again i want to thank tina rogers educator performer and researcher who gave us a bit of of, uh, depth history around black history month and its roots and a mind a reminder all the information the website everything that we've been talking about will all be on www.womenspaces.com and also i really encourage you to go on the facebook go on peace and justice center and find the event the martin luther king a junior birthday celebration it is so well worth watching and listening and just the musicians and the speeches it's just amazing anyway this is elaine b holt you've been listening to women's space Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. And who will surely make you stronger? Who will bear all the joy that is coming to you? If not a woman.
she's patient and she's waiting and she'll take you home now the woman in your life she can The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, February 7th, 2022.